Welcome to the Five Questions for a Field Service Expert podcast. This is the show for field service professionals where we dig into the big questions about field service delivery and management. Every episode, we ask a field service expert five questions that can help you do your job better. Today, we're talking to Stephen Taylor, lead consultant and coach at Stephen Taylor and Associates. Over the past 30 plus years, Stephen has coached numerous field service executives and supervisors on implementing performance management systems in their organizations for improved performance and service delivery. A core belief that guides Stephen's work is that setting goals and giving regular performance feedback invariably helps technicians work harder to improve productivity. Stephen, welcome. We're delighted to have you with us today and uh, spending a few minutes on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dan. Great. Well, listen, we have five questions for you, as we do for all of our field service experts, and uh, wanted to roll right into those. You ready to go go forward? Let's go with it. Great. So with your background, Stephen, I wanted to understand um, some of the impediments, some of the obstacles first, uh, before we get into uh, solutions, to why you think field techs tend to resist the adoption of technologies that are really generally there for, for their benefit, right? Make their job easier. And then as, as, a, as a follow-up to that, give us some of your thoughts on how you'd recommend field service leaders making, um, making that kind of change to their organization where they're introducing new technologies. Well, uh, first of all, I, I think that um, companies basically, when they try to implement change, the resistance really comes not from the change, but the way the company is implementing the change. Uh, you know, nowadays, uh, all service companies have some form of field technology. And the really important thing is that the competitive advantage uh, is basically getting the crew to use the, the software to its full advantage. And the fact is, they generally aren't involved. And so they don't buy into this, well, for a number of reasons. One, there's no perceived benefit to them. It's off target or really impractical. Uh, it'll take them longer to do it with the software than the way they had done it previously. Uh, oh, there are a number of other reasons. It's, it's really hard to learn. And I think the classic one is it's for the, the tech, it's easier for him to or her to do it the original way. The other really critical thing is they find that a lot of times there's no support or no recognition for changing. And it's interesting. What happens is what I've seen with a lot of companies is you, the employees basically fall into three categories of, of groups. You have a small percentage who are really gung-ho and they jump right into it and they, they, they apply it completely. And then at the other end, you have a very small percentage who are completely against it and will go as far as sabotaging the whole process. But then you have a whole pile of people in the middle who basically are waiting it out to see what happens. And they'll, they'll do what's expected of them. They'll, they'll do the, uh, the adaption. But they'll wait and see, is the company really going to stick with it? Are they really going to support me? So those are the kinds of things that come up. And again, I think it has far more to do with the way it was implemented and it wasn't the change itself. So what do you do about that? Uh, number one, you involve people, you involve your field crews, even before the pre-purchase stage, and you ask them what their needs are. Number two, when you're when you're 
rolling this thing out, you really have to have a plan and you have to stick with it. And here's a really, really critical thing. When you're doing the training with them, and obviously that's a huge, huge factor, train them to their satisfaction, not to yours. You know, as, as a supervisor, we want to get those people trained and out there back in the field as quickly as possible. But the fact is, sometimes we do that for our needs and not theirs, and they end up going out really not knowing what they're supposed to be doing. So train them to their satisfaction, not to yours. The other two critical things, be available and provide follow-up support. Uh, they need to know that they can turn to you when they do have questions. And the final thing, always praise their progress. Even if it's the smallest, smallest incremental bit of improvement, make sure you catch them doing things right and let them know. That, actually, that's far more important than the training and giving instructions in the first place. So that's how I would approach it. So a, a lot of good counsel there for the, the supervisor in, in, in the bunch. How is it, let's talk about that for a minute. How is it that uh, a great service technician who, who does very well productivity-wise and, and technically and soft skill-wise sometimes can become something of an ineffective supervisor? Talk about that for a minute. Sure. I'd say it's the most classic thing I've seen and I've had to deal with over 36 years. And basically, it's we tend to promote people for their technical skills and, and not for their people and organizational skills. And the fact is, the skills required to manage other people are entirely different than the skills of actually fixing something or dealing with something. But uh, so, I mean, bottom line too, don't promote or hire people that are not liked or respected by the crew. Uh, but, but there's more than that. When I'm an employee, a field employee, if I want more money or I want more status, there's always more prestige in saying I supervise people or I get more money if I, I, uh, I supervise. So what happens is a lot of technicians will allow themselves to be promoted when they, they really don't want to do it uh, or they feel that kind of pressure uh, that they need to do it for those reasons I just mentioned. And the big difference is when you become a supervisor, you're not being judged anymore by really what you do. You're being judged by what other people do. And so the real job of a field supervisor is to create a motivating environment for your people. And uh, if I were... Uh, looking for someone i think number one i'd look for someone who is liked and well respected by by the crew and someone who really likes to uh to work well with a team another thing and this is a really really critical one is you look for a technician who really likes to share skills and and knowledge and really helps other people uh, and another final thing, someone who has really good time management skills. And again, those skills can be very, very different from just being technically very, very good. Uh, so the other thing is it's, it's much easier to, to train someone and fill in technical gaps than it is to fill in people skills gaps. So those are really the things that you need to do. Don't promote people just because they're the best technician. They, they're not necessarily and many times won't become a very good supervisor. So you're talking a lot about 
skilled in behaviors. Um, and, and naturally, the, I guess the, the, the results of those things combined would be outcomes or, or results. What, what's the relationship in your, in your sort of, in your purview between those results, whether they're operational, financial, technical, and then those, those behaviors or skills that a, um, a team might uh, embrace? Right. I'm, I'm a strong, strong believer in, in metrics and being able to see uh, what an outcome is going to be. But there are only sort of limited benefits to just having really, really good results. A result is a measurement that you know takes place at the end of a period of time. And once it's over, it, it's over. Then you're working on a new result. Once that result's happened, you, you, you can't really change it. On the other hand, critical behaviors or critical uh, activities are things that happen in between those times. And the reality is, for a supervisor, you have control over how people behave and what those critical critical activities are and how you can handle them. So what happens is critical behaviors can very, very much impact the kind of results, okay? Uh, and you know, when you send your, your uh, crew out into, into the field, uh, it's, it's uh, things like accuracy and timeliness and costs and parts that become very important metrics. And I'll give you an example. We, we work with some companies on something called a perfect day, where we define a result, which is having that perfect day. And then we show the, the field crew and the supervisor how to define critical behaviors. And so we start about, oh, I guess a week or two weeks before. And they sit down with the crew and they say, on this particular day, Let's use an example that's very common in field service, which is the issue of call-ins, where you go out and for some reason you have to call in and get parts sent to you from wherever, from your warehouse, wherever it is, and it can be a long distance away. So what we do is we define with the crew, what are the critical behaviors or activities you need to do to make sure on this particular day you accomplish those results or that result of no call-ins. So for example, we sit down and they'll come up with things like go over the plans the day before, check inventory on your truck the day before, speak with the warehouse about the parts that you need the day before. So those are the kinds of things. So the crew knows they need to do those things the day before that perfect day. Now it's interesting, some interesting results happen because of that or activities. Uh, almost the day after you discuss with the crew those kinds of things, the improvement already starts. Uh, I'm thinking of a particular company where they were having call-ins about oh, 60 to 70% of the time on jobs. And already it started to improve. But the interesting thing is uh, on that perfect day, they managed to get 100%. And by the way, uh, I should emphasize, the supervisor who worked this out with them didn't require that they continue to do it. It didn't require that it's an absolute must from now on. He said, all I want is you to get that perfect day on that day. And the idea was to show them that if they really diligently pay attention to these critical activities or behaviors, they will be able to get that result on that certain day. The other important thing that happened after that is after that perfect day, they maintained about a 95% call-in rate 
or lack of Collins. And uh, that had very much to do with the second part of the equation, which is the supervisor praising them and making and recognizing them for uh, observing and doing those critical behaviors on a regular basis. Uh, so if you ask me, the critical behaviors or activities are far, far more important um, in terms of achieving those results than just simply being telling people, here's what the results are. That makes a lot of sense. And, and you're, you're zeroing in on actually something I wanted to dig into a little bit more deeply, and that's around uh, well, positive feedback. You're 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 certainly a, a an advocate for um, uh, praising a technician or recognizing a technician uh, when deserved, and that, that that the value that that brings for ongoing improvements and and uh, and performance. What other besides positive feedback and and recognition? What are some of the other behaviors that you would consider uh, to be the most important for a field service supervisor to uh, to follow? Well, you know, it's it, it starts with a couple of questions. And one question I, I've always asked myself over the years is, other things being relatively equal, why is it that crews work harder for some supervisors than they do for others? And why is it that crew supervisors, some of them have more turnover and lateness and lower productivity than other supervisors. And there always seems to be this pattern. And, and that leads me to, when we talk about skills, the first thing, it's, it's well, it is sort of a skill. It's the issue of self-awareness. And I've asked this question to everybody that I've worked with over all these years. Um, and I just think they, they make or break people. And the first question is this, are you really as approachable as you think you are with people around you? And to make that much more specific, do your employees at any level, do they honestly feel comfortable coming to you with problems, ideas, or concerns, and this is important, on a timely basis? Or is it possible, just possible, you've taught people to hold back or go around you. And, and the reason I'm mentioning this is sometimes we teach people to respond to us in certain ways, and we're sort of oblivious to it. And, and we, we can't really influence other people if we aren't really sure of uh, how we impact on others. So the next question that comes from this is, do you understand how your behavior affects the behavior of your crew members? Now, and by the way, this question, do you understand how your behavior affects other people? In my opinion, it's what defines good parenting, and it also defines good marriages. So it's it's a general, general kind of question that helps people helps people direct themselves to uh, working with others, relating to others. Now let's get down into the final, really, the, the critical kinds of things that I think are important for getting the best out of your people. Number one, and, and there's a lot more detail than just this, but number one is the whole issue of rapport. Get to know your crew. Get to know who they are as people. Uh, an example is I was working with a supervisor and I had to do an assessment of her by speaking to her employees. And they said she was pretty good, uh, but she said they made absolutely, she made absolutely no effort to get to know them as people. It was strictly job and nothing else. And I, I told her this, I gave her the feedback, and she basically said to me, 
you know, I thought about it. And she said, that's the way I am. I'm not going to change. And the reality is she, as far as I know, um, she, she didn't get promoted. And I, I'm not asking people to become best friends with your employees outside work. I'm only saying, get to know them as people. Because when you get to know them as people and you build that rapport, they'll come to you sooner with problems. They'll feel more comfortable around you. So that's, that's one critical one. Another one basically is have very, very defined specific goals and objectives and make sure you share them with your people. And in line with that, make sure you have very specific expectations. Make sure your people know on a weekly basis or on a daily basis, however your business runs, let them know what the metrics are, let them know how much pipe has to be laid, how much of this has to be done or that has to be done. And tied with that, of course, as we've discussed, is giving regular feedback uh, and in particular, tie it to those, those critical behaviors or activities. And by the way, an interesting fact, this isn't something I've made up, it's, it's research, that supervisors who catch people doing things right more than just give constructive feedback, but if they do it on a ratio of four to one, you're gonna get far better, better productivity. So every time you go out in the field and you make some kind of observation and you give feedback, you had better had, have praised people at least four times more than going out there and having your employees see you as someone who's always finding something critical and not finding something very positive at all. Okay? The other really critical thing, and again, there are many more that I probably have, won't mention, but the other one is follow-up. When people ask you for something, get back to them. Don't say, leave it with me in another lifetime if they're lucky. Really make a point of getting back to them. Uh, so those those are a lot of the critical ones that I, I think you really should be doing. Uh, other ones, uh, well, final one also is listen, listen, and listen. Never stop listening to your people. And, and sort of a mini skill that goes along with that or something to avoid. You'd be amazed how many people, including me sometimes, who finish people's sentences for them. And... Uh, that will just ultimately, you're training people to shut down and, and not really give you any information at all. But think about that. Think about the people around you in your life and, and the people that you work with. How many times do people finish your sentence? It's, it's, a, it's something that can be worked on, but first of all, you have to be made aware of it. So those are a lot of the, the characteristics or behaviors of what I think make a, a very, very good supervisor. That's outstanding. Uh, food for thought, especially the the very concrete four to one uh, ratio. Thank you for sharing that. And along along those same lines, let's actually wrap with with our last question for you. What what motivating tips would you recommend uh, for avoiding uh, dips in productivity? Well, bottom line, communicate regularly with your people. That means getting out into the field as much as you can. Ask questions to your crew, things like anything you need. Ask them on a regular basis, what do you think? You know, those are really, really critical. And, and there's, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having very demanding objectives and expectations. Uh, but you just got to make sure that, that, uh, that you know your people, uh, that you know your crew. Always asking them things like anything uh, that you need from me. There, there are variations of this, but always asking them 
if they need something and if you can help them. And again, the other thing that I mentioned earlier, but I just think it's critical, is to make sure that you follow up with your people. If there's a bottom line, well, there are a number of bottom lines, but I think it's very important when you're a supervisor to have a particular philosophy. And the philosophy is this, you work as much for your people as they work for you. I, I call it reverse accountability. You are accountable to them. Either you're helping them get their job done the way they should on a daily basis, or in a sense, you're getting in the way. Uh, so th that's just a critical thing. Uh, if if you have a couple of minutes, I can just tell you a couple of quick stories, one that didn't go so well and one that did go well. Uh, well let's do it. Okay. I This is one that didn't quite go so well. Uh, this was told to me, actually, by a client that happened in another company. When, As a supervisor, when you don't bring out the best in your people, people learn to cope. They learn to put up with you or they learn to get back at you or... Or in this case, when it comes, when it sort of becomes systemic, it becomes through the whole system. Here's what can happen. There was a company that wanted to uh, create a new cover for their annual report. For they, they hired a photographer. And this photographer had this very bright idea. He said, you know what? I'm going to mount the camera across the street from your location. And what I'd like you to do is lock the gates so that when the people come out at the end of the day, and there are about 300 of them, I want them to all mill around in the yard. And then when I give the signal, you'll open the gate and they'll all come streaming out of the yard. And that's when I'll take the picture of them. Management thought, okay, that's a great idea. And, uh, but they didn't tell the employees. So what happened was on the day that it was, that it was going to happen, the first 50 employees came out and they walked up to the, the gate, this big chain link fence, and they pulled on it and they saw that it was locked and they started milling around and they didn't know what to do. Then another 100, 150, eventually 300 were standing in the yard, milling around, wondering why the gates weren't open. Eventually, the photographer said, okay, good, they're all out, let's go with it. Someone from management came out, opened the gate, and all the people came streaming out. And they all had smiles on their faces, and it was a perfect picture, except for one surprise to management. And it's funny, after many years of asking people what they thought happened, what they what management saw, only one person in all these years guessed the right answer of what did happen. When management saw the yard after everybody had walked out, the yard was littered with rolls of toilet paper, screwdrivers small wrenches, all different kinds of small pieces of, or small tools and utensils. And what had happened was the employees were robbing this place blind. And uh, they thought because the gate was locked, they were going to be searched. So everybody emptied their pockets. And it, it's a classic case of a company that from the, from the top to the bottom, they really didn't have a handle on, on true productivity and a true motivating environment. That's an example of a, a case where it, they needed a lot of work. On the other hand, on the other hand, 33 years ago, I, I had the chance to work with a, a supervisor. I still remember him to this day. He, he had his, he worked out in a plant uh, that did servicing of equipment in the company. And he was covered in grease and a, a really young guy. And he was 25 years old. 
and he was frustrated with both his his boss and and his employees he just didn't know what to do he didn't know how to work with them he actually cried and uh like like most supervisors first line supervisors in particular he was like a sponge for taking in new information but he had a particular high level of self-awareness and he he really really wanted to make an effort to try new skills new ideas and he tried tried and tried and slowly but surely he became more and more effective and basically using a lot of the things we've talked about today but in a very conscious and purposeful way today he's the ceo of one of the largest food companies in canada but the thing i want to emphasize here it wasn't really me he had it in him all along and I was just sort of able to, to bring it out in him, but it, it was all the credit goes to him, not me so much. Bottom line of, of everything we've discussed, I think is this, once you understand how your behavior affects your crew, it's only then you, then you can really start developing your leadership skills and, and then really start to get the kind of productivity and results that you're looking for. But it all starts with self-awareness and then very specific and practical skills. Uh, that's that's the way it's, it's going to happen. Stephen, that is rich, rich insight. I have to say there's a lot of wisdom in, in what you've shared with us today. And, and the stories, uh, notwithstanding, a tremendous amount of insight in, in all of your anecdotes. I appreciate that. Thanks for spending some time with us today to share, share your expertise on, on field service performance and delivery. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You can learn more about Stephen and his work at stacoaching.com. Thanks so much for listening. For more expert views on field service, subscribe to the Mobile Reach blog at mobilereach.com. <laughs>